Welcome to Mortgage Space. I'm your host, Alan Medeiros, and today we have Mike George, my production manager here with us. And we were talking, you know, earlier today, and we thought, you know, what would be a good topic to discuss for a podcast? And it really just came down to, now that we've met with the client, we've gone through the pre-qualification process, we need to figure out how much money they have to close and where the source of those funds are coming from. So I invited Mike here to talk because I think it's a little boring to just listen to Alan Medeiros. So we have Mike George on the call. <laughs> So, uh, Mike, I wanted to say thank you, number one. Uh, you and I see so many different scenarios, and I think in these conversations, it allows us to brainstorm, to be able to bring value to our clients and all those listening to this podcast. So I set this up kind of to understand that when you're purchasing a house, you have a component for most loans called a down payment. You bet. In addition to the down payment, we have something called closing costs. Can you give me a quick definition of closing costs and what that really looks like? You bet. Um, closing costs are the other things that are going to be responsible to be paid, such as appraisal, credit report, title and escrow fees, if you have your taxes and insurance included with your payment, and also your first year's homeowner's insurance. So those are in addition to the down payment. So I like to say when I give an estimate, I say it's like ragu, it's in there. <laughs> I include everything that we can possibly disclose because we don't like surprises. Yeah. We have a very, very high pull-through rate at our office because we're upfront, we're honest, we tell people everything that they need to know so they make an educated decision, but they also have better success after closing because we're not undercutting numbers in order to make it look attractive. We want them to know what they're expecting to pay. So let me ask you this question mike what are some common ways that people should consider especially first-time home buyers in saving a down payment well you know the common myth is well we need down 20 percent down payment or we just can't get a loan which is not true uh, on conventional financing if you want to avoid mortgage insurance sure 20 percent is going to work the best for you but with the different loan programs out there, you can put as little as 3% down as a first time home buyer or not owning a home in the last three years on conventional financing. For all others, it would be a minimum of 5% for conventional financing. Also on FHA financing, which is a government guaranteed loan, you can put as little as 3.5% down. Also, VA is 100% financing, don't no, don't, no down payment is required, and USDA, where you're outside of big metropolitan areas, it's 0% required as well. So there's some great loan programs out there to help these consumers get into the home of their dreams and not having to break the bank, but they still have to plan and prepare for where those funds are going to come from. And what are some things that we talked off the podcast about some common ways to get yourself prepared? So let's just say that somebody's currently paying $750 in rent, right? But their new payment's going to be $1,000. So how would they prep? Maybe what kind of plan of action have you talked to your clients in the past for to possibly save some money? Well, one of the things I try to coach them is, is we do. We look at what they're currently paying on rent and what they're comfortable with. We look at their total overall budget. But say, for instance, that they think they feel comfortable making a $1,000 house payment. Well, then in the time that we go through the application process up to the time, a point that they potentially go in, in the contract to buy a home, I would propose to them, well, then if you're paying rent of seven fifty and your proposed house payment is a thousand, then you should be able to save two hundred and fifty dollars a month without concern or 
upsetting your budget and lifestyle. And so that's a great way for them to start and prove to themselves that they're ready to make that $1,000 house payment. Yeah, it's almost a primer for them. It's giving them the opportunity to see that they can do that comfortably without changing the lifestyle too dramatically to afford that payment. And that's, that's a great idea. So some other ideas that I've come up with as far as saving money is that if they have a forced savings idea, meaning maybe they came in to meet with us six months early and they have a plan to buy, but they're not quite ready. Maybe they don't want to use a down payment assistance program because they don't want to have a second mortgage or a third mortgage, uh, but they want to save their own 3%, right? So what I tell them is you can go ahead and take and every single month that you get paid, whatever your frequency is, take a small percentage of that and put it into savings. And separate that money from your living budget. And the reason why is because if you include it in your monthly budget and you're spending that money, you're not going to know really what your true zero is. Most people should have a bottom line amount that they like to have in their checking uh, every month so that they know, hey, at the end of the month, I will always have at least $500 left over. Anything above and beyond that, if they need to spend it, they can do so because it's a baseline. They'll never overdraft their account. They'll always have a little bit of margin to create some value for themselves and also a safety net because being a homeowner, there are some things that do come up occasionally that you'll need to spend money on. So these are things that I've advised clients to do in addition to the example that you gave of if their new payment's gonna be $1,000 and they're currently paying rent of two, uh, $750, that $250 should be able to be saved monthly and put towards you know a down payment. But Let's transition into maybe some other sources of down payment. For FHA, VA, and conventional, we can receive, if available, a gift from family. This uh, family definition has kind of been a little dynamic. It's changed over time, but primarily it's going to be your close relatives. This could be your parents, grandparents, a brother, sister, a defined aunt or uncle, because I can tell you my kids call you know, good friend of mine, uncle, but he's not really by blood, you know, uncle, but still, we have to have a defined relationship. Um, it can be spouse. On a conventional financing, a spouse can gift another spouse those funds. Um, even domestic partners and those that have a, a defined relationship like a fiance or otherwise. But we have to document these things. Understand we're not doing this to uh, skirt any rules or guidelines. We just need to be able to educate them so they make good decisions and they're putting the money where they need to have it so that it's properly defined for the bank because there's nothing worse than getting to a point where they can't use the funds right. and they're banking on those. Some other places that they can receive down payment is if their employer has a sponsored program that allows them down payment assistance, the employer can do so. They can actually give this money as a part of an employee benefit as long as we define that relationship and we have a letter from the employer stating that these are funds that can be used towards the down payment. It's not a loan. It's a straight gift, if you will, or a bonus or whatever the case may be that it's used and we can document its source. Some other things that sometimes happen is that maybe you have secured borrowed funds. Well, what is that? Maybe they have a 401k. Right? They have a retirement plan that they can borrow the money from that retirement plan and then make small payments back to themselves through their ordinary payroll deductions. But those funds can be seasoned and used and we can transfer those funds directly to escrow at closing or if we're going to track them from their 401k or savings or IRA, we can track it from that account to their checking and then checking to escrow. So those are some common places we find down payments. Are there any other ones that you have an idea about? Well, I just wanted to find, Alan, you mean that $5,000 I got in the mattress at home, I can't use that in this <laughs> transaction? Come on now. No, it's cash yeah, money. I, I know, I know. Um, 
<laughs> Mike, you, you probably remember this, but several years ago, we had a self-employed borrower that literally brought a bag of cash. I don't think you were in the office that day. And I literally talked to him and I said, what is this? He says, it's, it's money for down payment. He had a literal duffel bag full of $100 bills. And it was the first time that I think I've really had fear being in the office. I've never been around that much cash before. And I said, take that to the bank and deposit it. And he said, it's cash. It's ready. The down payment is here. And I literally, I just, I don't know what my expression was, but it was an odd experience because I'm not used to seeing money in our office like that. I mean, we wire literally millions of dollars a year to help people into, get into homes, but we don't physically see the cash. I know it's, we're a little disconnected nowadays, but it was really an odd experience. So no, cash at home, if it can't be sourced, we can't use it. There are some things that are very specific protocol that you need to talk about with your loan officer if you have cash, but I'll leave that up to the loan professional working with you. <laughs> Just thought I'd do Yeah, I know. <laughs> hey, it, it's, it's definitely <laughs> happened. So let's move on to the next item. This is uh, what we call seller credits or interested party contributions. Can you tell us about what those are and what they can cover? Well, the, the nice thing about most loan prog programs is if you structure it in your purchase contract and your offer that you make to purchase a home, the seller potentially can actually assist you with some or all of the closing costs that you're going to face in purchasing that home. And it's kind of defined this way with conventional financing, you know, your Fannie and Freddie products. If you put 10% or less down, you're limited to about 3% of seller paid closing costs. If you put between 25 and 10% down, the limit is 6% of the purchase price for closing costs. And if you put more than 25% down, you can get up to 9% assisted with seller closing costs. Well, now, let me define something. What is that percentage of? Oh, excuse me. It's percentage of the purchase price. The sales price, right? Yeah, it okay. is. And then, of course, that's for homes that you're going to live in or primary residences. Now, if you're going to be purchasing investment property, the maximum that the seller can assist you with is about 2% of the purchase price for seller paid closing costs. And then on the other loan programs, such as FHA, uh, FHA actually and USDA, the seller can assist you with up to 6% of the purchase price for seller paid closing costs. And on VA, it's limited to 4% of closing costs. And as you're well aware, there's certain costs that a veteran cannot pay when they purchase a home, and that would be included in the seller paid closing costs as well. So it can only be applied towards closing costs, right? That so is closing correct. costs and prepaids. In the, in the beginning part of the podcast, we talked about the definition. So those items that are non-reoccurring expenses, this includes the appraisal, loan expenses, appra uh, pardon me, um, your title credit report, escrow title, escrow, those are all one-time expenses. We kind of lump them into this closing cost idea, but the second part is called prepaids. This is your prepaid taxes, insurance, prorations, as well as reserves, right? Yeah. So those both can be paid for with these types of credits, correct? That is correct. But they can also pay for one other thing for a rate. What can they do with that closing cost? Yeah, when you, when you talk to your loan officer and you talk about rates, they're going to educate you on what it means to get an interest rate and the cost or credit for that interest rate. And so therefore, if the interest rate is being quote unquote bought down or discount, sometimes it's called discounted points, that that is also part of your closing cost. So buying down that rate can also be paid by the seller as part of your closing cost. Yeah, so overall it could be huge value for the buyer if they're able to obtain these closing costs. Absolutely. I have found that the most effective strategy for closing cost credits is to speak with the real estate agent that's gonna be making that offer. 
and educate them on what can be used because if we have too many credits, what happens to the extra credits? <laughs> they get given back to the seller. Yeah, so we don't like to leave money on the table, right? <laughs> so if you're given these credits, we want to use them up. We're not increasing our expenses just because. Right. We're governed by the CFPB. We're very specific. We're very intentional. Uh, but we want to make sure that we have sufficient funds for closing because there's nothing more embarrassing, I think, than getting to the end going, we don't have enough funds. Right. So we really want to have that conversation with those agents. And, and I think in that conversation with the agent, too, you also need to be prepared. They will discuss to you what market conditions are and what prevailing is going on in your area, whereas some of the offers are very, very tedious and very pointed. And, and in order to get an offer accepted, you may have to negotiate those terms with that seller if you need assistance like that because some of the offers figure this, if you have an offer that's full price with no concessions or help with selling closing costs and you have an offer that's full price that wants a 2% selling cost, what do you think that seller's gonna do? So that would be a very fluid conversation with the realtor to understand what the market conditions are as well and how that potentially could impact the contract that you try to make an offer with. Absolutely. You know, I know that in our particular marketplace, there are certain Certain times of the year where sellers may be a little bit more negotiable mm -hmm. to paying these things and it has to do with the individual market conditions real estate is very local so when I talk with a client and let's just say their agent is looking at property's been sitting on the market for a little bit and they're considering a price reduction it might be a good idea to offer them asking price and whatever the reduction in price they were considering asking that for a seller probably closing cost credit that does two things in my mind number one it retains value in the neighborhood Right? Sure. And the second thing is, is it gives you the cash to close and it reduces your out-of-pocket so it makes it more palatable to getting into that property because you have other expenses and we'll discuss that real briefly um, when you know, we go to the end of this. But when you are buying a house, you have more than just the expense of the down payment and closing costs. Mm -hmm. You're uprooting a family. I think you and I, Mike, have a very strong values alignment and understanding that what we do has a very important impact in people's lives. This is the single greatest form of debt they're going to incur in their life likely. And it uproots their family. They're taking, if they have kids, to different schools. They're you know, changing areas. They're restructuring their whole lifestyle. And all this happens very quickly. Mm -hmm. I mean, 30 days is not that long. And 45, you may have a little bit more time, but I think people procrastinate to get in those boxes, you know, <laughs> filled up with stuff and only be told, hey, you need to be out by this time. So because of that, we always recommend that you have a realistic expectation for cash after closing. Now, some loan officers may not have this conversation, real estate agents may not have this conversation, but I personally, and I know you do, have this conversation with your clients because our job is being lenders for life for them is to help them to make good educated financial decisions because when they need somebody we should be available to answer those questions and here's where I was going with it when you have cash to close let's just throw a number out there five thousand dollars and that's all the money that you have when you close that transaction you may have the keys in your hand but you don't have enough money to move you don't have enough money to start your utilities Perhaps you have other expenses to maybe clean the property up or do improvements. So you need to have a little bit of cushion. A strong recommendation for people is separate the funds for your closing funds, your down payment and or closing costs, and set it aside in a non-active account. And what I mean by that is, is that if you actively are using the funds that are in your checking at that time, and you have to use some of those funds, you're going to feel that pain the moment you pull it out because it's going to adjust your overall lifestyle, right? Because if it's not separated, 
and it's integrated in your monthly obligations, you're going to see that, that hole in your bank statement pretty quickly. And I think people don't, don't plan for that. So I strongly recommend uh, consider that. Move the money into your savings, keep it there. As long as we can track it, we're fine with it. Another thing is communicate, communicate, communicate. <laughs> the more that we talk with our agents, the more we talk with our loan officer, the better communication we have, the smoother your transaction will go. At the end of the day, we're all aiming towards the end goal, and that is a successful close, a happy homeowner, and a great loan that they're gonna be happy with for years to come. So we went through a lot of stuff in a short amount of time, Mike. <laughs> Are there any things that you'd like to add at the end of this podcast? No, I'd just say that if, if the potential borrowers are well um, counseled as they prepare for home ownership and they're realistic about their funds, their budgets, and their expectations, that the process is always going to be tedious, but they're going to feel much, much better about it. When those keys are handed to them, knowing them, they just didn't drain the bank account and they don't have a dime left. Uh, they've got a cushion sitting there and somebody has coached them to make sure that they were properly repaired. They're going to take those keys with a smile on their face. And instead of having to live for a house payment, they're going to have a house to live in. Absolutely. And it's much different. Yeah, it is a big difference. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we've had a lot of repeat clients have come back and they've had equity now that they're selling that property and they're moving on to a different home. And those are always great to hear. You, you know, having been in the industry combined between the two of us over 30 years, we've seen a few keep, you know, few clients come back. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then also their kids and their family and referrals. So we just really appreciate all the time that um, these clients take with us and the care and trust that they have in what we do. And we just really want to make sure we're adding value to their lives and we're here as a resource. So thanks, Mike, for your time. And hopefully this uh, podcast had some value for you listeners. Thank you.